0: to The Truth Tank and I am your host, Tank. This is episode 24 of The Truth Tank. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And if you're just finding The Truth Tank for the first time, welcome. We're going to be taking another break from King Herod the Great. The third part of King Herod is still a work in progress. I'm still deep in the research and it's taken a hell of a lot longer than I thought it would. And it's taken a lot longer than I would have liked it to. Nevertheless, I feel compelled to finish the saga of King Herod. There's still a lot more to tell about him. On tonight's episode, we're going to be having a look at a contemporary part of history, something that has happened very recently in the last couple of weeks that really fucking pissed me off, and that is Facebook's banning of news to Australian Facebook users and their war with the Australian government over the Australian government's proposed news bargaining laws. Just before we get into tonight's show, you have to be sleeping under a rock to not realise the first COVID vaccines have been rolled out around the world. The first injections have given out and guess what? No one's microchips have been activated, no one's head has exploded and no one's spontaneously combusted yet. Still not a lot of proof if it actually works 100% or not. The most interesting thing in this country anyway is the lack of advertisement about how the vaccines work and how you get them just recently the government has put a task force together to combat misinformation and the anti-vaxxers who have been protesting you're not making their job that hard when you don't put out the information yourself i've seen a couple of posters and i think i've seen a couple of random ads but this hasn't been blanketed across national television like i thought it would no one really reads the paper anymore it's hasn't been splashed across social media we'll get into some of those reasons tonight but there's a lot of huge gaps in the government's information on the vaccine and how it works. It doesn't seem like the most efficient way to roll out a nationwide vaccine campaign, but at the same time, this is the first time in history a vaccine rollout on this size has been conducted. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get into tonight's show. We're going to be having a look at Facebook's war on the Australian government and their pulling of news from Australian Facebook users a couple of weeks ago. If you're not in Australia and you're listening overseas and you haven't heard about this, this will be a pretty interesting show. And it kind of highlights just how powerful and unregulated some of these social media companies are. Now, since I was writing this episode, the ban has been lifted and news has been restored. Nevertheless, we're going to have a look at how this whole event came about, what led to it, why Facebook chose to pull the news from Australian Facebook users, and what are the long term ramifications of Facebook's actions. They seem pretty tone deaf on the issue. They don't really seem to care that they've pissed a lot of people off. This isn't just an Australian issue. This will happen in any country that decides to put a news media bargaining law in place against Facebook, Google, or any of these other tech giants. So without further ado, let's get into tonight's show. This is episode 24, Facebook's war against the Australian government. Frydenberg vs. Zuckerberg. The Battle of the Bergs. so australia has been unfriended by the tech giants as of last week facebook banned australians sharing news and viewing news articles on its platform so why did facebook do this it's a very despicable act first of all it's the first of its kind and it's a very anger-inducing issue so this all came about when the australian government demanded that the multi-billion dollar company known as facebook pay for its use of external news sources This goes without saying, but this is pretty much any any news related article from a legitimate news media source such as CNN, BBC, ABC, SBS. So this is fair enough. After all, why shouldn't Facebook pay for news and media services, news stories and articles that they are getting from an external source and publishing on their own website? Seems like a fair enough argument. This has been going on for many years. The more powerful these companies have become, the less they care about pretty much anyone that gets in their way. There doesn't seem to be a lot of government oversight in this industry. For the most part, these companies just seem to get away with murder. In short, Facebook decided rather than pay for news that it uses, they would just be cunts instead. Facebook has gone head to head with the Australian government and has outrightly refused to pay for news. Let's have a detailed look at the issue and see who is the lesser of two evils. So Mark Zuckerberg is an interesting character. He is a is a delusional psycho with little man complex. It's pretty much the nicest way I can sum him up. Because he doesn't seem to be cut from the same cloth as a lot of the other entrepreneurs in his field. They're all very good at telling people how good they are and how smart they are that they've created some new butte platform or service or product and how it's changing people's lives. Zuckerberg, on the other hand, doesn't really seem to know all that much about his own creation. He has been sued for stealing the idea from the Winklevosses. One of the most interesting theories I've heard about him is that he's a CIA plant and that he was given a lot of money at a young age to try and bring about this new platform, take the credit for it, get everybody sharing so it makes people easier to keep tabs on, makes them easier to surveil. If that is the plan then i'm not sure it's worked too well but it probably is a decent tool for spying i mean a lot of people are very forthright with the amount of information they put out there they put a lot of personal stuff on social media and a lot of people don't think too much about the consequences of that unlike other entrepreneurs like elon musk or the uber guy who can tell you like every facet of their business and their ideas, like Elon Musk can tell you how the bolts and screws are made for his rockets. He can tell you what they're made out of, what materials they used, how the engines work, even if he didn't engineer the rockets himself. The Uber guy is very similar. He loves telling people how smart he is and how his idea is so genius. He was was he sued by his own employees to have him removed from the head of the company because he was such an unbearable prick to work for? I think they called him a sociopath. He was so far off the fucking Richter scale that he just couldn't get along with anybody. So the Facebook story is full of holes, and Mark Zuckerberg acts like a entitled little shit with an inferiority complex. There are a few conflicting and contradictory origin stories as to who created Facebook. Then there are the several lawsuits against Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. There's also a few friends that were betrayed and caught in the crossfire. So if you remember way back to the origins of Facebook, the original idea was to compare which student was hotter. Could this be a CIA idea to get the ball rolling or some government program that was rolled out in the college system for whatever reason? Find the next genius, spot the next terrorist, who the fuck really knows? Most people will know how Facebook began at Harvard University in 2003 as FaceMash, an online service for students to judge the attractiveness of their fellow students. Maybe not the most moral of ideas, given how the political climate is now judging the attractiveness of a fellow student. But yet, this is a guy that has never been cancelled, and yet an actor can be fired over a ill-advised and misinformed tweet. I guess when your bank account reaches a certain amount of zeros, you can kind of do what you like. When Zuckerberg was developing Facemash, he violated university policy in acquiring resources for the service. It was shut down a few days later, it kind of went silent, and then it comes back as the Facebook. Some of the problems I have with Zuckerberg is he doesn't walk or talk like other tech CEOs or entrepreneurs or billionaires. He's rude, he's immature, and he drinks water very funny. If you all remember back to his uh, Facebook versus Congress a couple of years ago, there's a lot of rumors going around that he was some type of reptilian or an alien because he drank water like a fucking lizard. It's kind of creepy to watch. Fast forward a few years, and here comes the lawsuits from... Facebook's original founders, the Winklevoss twins. The Winklevosses claim they come up with the original idea of Facebook. Their idea was known as Harvard Connection, which was later renamed to ConnectU. They developed the idea along with their classmate, Diava Narandra. I probably pronounced that name wrong. Apologies. So in 2004, the Winklevoss brothers sued Facebook's founder, Mark Zuckerberg. The Winklevosses claim that Zuckerberg stole the original ConnectU idea in order to create Facebook. At the time, it was a pretty new concept. They they claim that he he stole the social networking mechanics of ConnectU to make Facebook. Are the Winklevoss twins the legitimate creators of Facebook? Did Zuckerberg just rip them off or was he pushed to do it? I guess no one will really know, but there is some legitimacy to the Winklevosses. Since they've left Harvard and since they got over the lawsuits, they've created a couple of social media websites and online companies, one of which is a social media website called Guest for a Guest. They co-founded that with Rochelle Harrisk, and they seem to be pretty savvy entrepreneurs. These guys act more like the quote-unquote typical Online entrepreneur than Zuckerberg does. But for whatever reason, they don't have the zeros in their bank account or the notoriety that Zuckerberg has. Zuckerberg is a household name, the Winklevosses are not. So, in short, he is a liar, a weirdo, and quite possibly he could be a reptilian or an alien. Am I joking about that or am I not? So, compare these startups. While I was on the research, I watched a couple of old youtube clips on zuckerberg and this is back in the harvard days i just wanted to compare the way he talked to other entrepreneurs who have created similar ideas there was a startup called westmatch back in the early 2000s there was the westmatch versus facebook they were both very similar ideas westmatch was more of a online dating site before dating sites took off And Facebook was just getting off the ground and had just been rolled out through a couple of colleges throughout the United States. So the creator of Westmatch, the way he spoke about, and the reason I focus on this clip rather than others, because this is one of the few times where he's side-by-side with another inventor, entrepreneur in the same field as him. It's a split-screen, side-by-side interview. Zuckerberg's in one part of the country, the Westmatch guy's in a different part, and they're both telling their ideas one after the other to the reporters back in the studio. It parallels the two inventors nicely. You can see the way one talks compared to the other. During the interview, Zuckerberg appears to make it up as he goes along. He's very all, all over the place. He says, um, a lot, which is something he still does today in a lot of interviews. He's always, umming I mean, and ahhing. When you talk on TV or give interviews, you're not. they kind of advise you not to say, um. I mean, I do it on this podcast. It's something I'm very conscious of. So how can a guy that has a hell of a lot more money than a $2 podcast not be conscious or even pay someone, to pay a public speaking expert to drum out the ums when he gives interviews? Who knows, maybe it's a personal trait. It's just something I found interesting in doing the research on him. So during these interviews, he doesn't really seem to know what his company is doing, he more or less just strings along a loose series of related counterpoints where in reality it's more than likely very different he comes up with a bunch of well facebook we're, we're going to do this we're doing that we're we're going to do that this is how we kind of started he doesn't can't really get into the technical side of facebook or his creation and how how and how he did it so if this is a guy that built it from the ground up this is i'm assuming you have to Code something, or yeah, you, you have to be pretty switched on with computers to be able to do what he did. This is something that I wouldn't be able to do. I don't know anything about computers. You'd have to be a computer nerd to try and pull it off, or just very, very savvy with computers, or know people that can do it for you. So he just strings along these related points about this is what we're going to do. This is how great this idea is. Where the Westmatch guy is telling you how the system or how the system operates. And how it chooses a match based on the information you put into the computer system. I watched a few other videos of Zuckerberg talking about Facebook. And they all kind of had the same common thread going through them. He never discusses details. He says, I'm a lot. He never really knows the technical side of his own creation. Like I previously mentioned, compare that to Elon Musk, who knows everything about every company he has started. Elon Musk might not have invented the batteries used in his Tesla cars, but I guarantee he can tell you every technical detail, how they were made, what they're made from, and how they work. Me, personally, I think he is hiding something. He's covering something up, or he is, like I mentioned, he is a CIA or an FBI plant, or some type of ABC agency infiltrator. There is something I don't trust about Mark Zuckerberg, and it's not the fact that he's got billions of dollars. So all this started when the Australian government announced a series of proposed changes to Australian news media laws aimed at social media and tech companies primarily, pretty much the bigger players in the field, one of which being Facebook and the other being Google. These two companies specifically were in the government's crosshairs due to their lack of paying for news content they use on their platforms. It shouldn't be much of a shocker that Facebook, Google, and basically every other big tech company, social media site, or search engine doesn't really pay for the news content that is shared or searched for on its platforms. There are two opposing viewpoints and arguments as to the for and against of the reforms. We'll get to that a little later. So, what is this mysterious issue over these proposed news bargaining laws? And why don't these big tech companies want to pay for news that they use on their sites? It's a pretty fair argument to make. It's not outside of the realms of normality. It seems like a legitimate concern. So what are these proposed changes? The Australian government asked the ACCC. The ACCC is the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. They're basically a watchdog organization that makes sure that companies are doing the right thing and everyone gets a fair share. So the Australian government asked the ACCC to draft a Bold plan to make big tech companies pay for the news it uses. This would see news outlets, journalists, and companies get paid for the hard work that they do. A lot of work and time and research goes into these stories, and a lot of them are getting pretty much next to nothing for a lot of the news they're producing. And these are from, you know, quote unquote, companies that value news and information services. And have been caught in the crossfire in recent years with the whole fake news debate and pushing real stories to the bottom of the pile and letting a whole bunch of bullshit and uncredited news sources rise to the surface. The ACCC and the Australian government's plan seems straightforward enough. Maybe, but maybe not. So let's have a look at the proposed plans. This information comes from the ACCC.gov.au The proposed plan is a in bargaining code. It affects the digital industry and the plan has been finalised. This is a statement off the website. On the 20th of April 2020, the Australian government asked the ACCC to develop a mandatory code of conduct to address bargaining power imbalances between Australian news media businesses and digital platforms, specifically Google and Facebook. On the 31st of July 2020, the ACCC released a draft code for public consultation and a series of questions and answers about the draft code. Following consultation, the ACCC made recommendations to government based on the views put forward by stakeholders. Government has now considered these recommendations and developed its final legislation. The bill was introduced to Parliament on the 9th of December 2020 and is available at Treasury Law Amendments. A joint media release from the Treasurer and the Minister of Communications published on the 8th of December 2020 is available here. The site goes through every detail and every little facet of the finalised plan. So also from the ACCC site I found the response to the Australian Mandatory News Media Bargaining Code Concepts paper. This was published on the 5th of June 2020. It outlines the entire plan going right through to Concepts of finalisation. I won't go through it all because it's uh, pretty fucking long. It's um, 58 pages and I don't have time to go through them all and that'd be incredibly boring. So just go through the summary. This is the executive summary by the ACCC. Facebook supports the development of a code to frame the relationship between digital platforms and Australian news media businesses that encourages innovation, provides certainty for our investment in the Australian news ecosystem. It accurately reflects the support we provide publishers and protects the interests of consumers. We welcome the opportunity to provide feedback on the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission's ACCC's Mandatory News Media Bargaining Code concept paper to assist in the development of a sensible and workable regulatory framework for an issue that is key to Australia's democracy news. We have been a long-standing supporter of a code of conduct that sets a framework for the relationship between digital platforms and news publishers in Australia. We welcome a code in our September 2019 submission to the Treasury in response to the ACCC's digital platforms inquiry final report on basis that it could address concerns about the role that digital platforms play in the distribution of news online and help to set new rules to deliver a better internet for Australians and we published two blog posts in February and March 2020 during the voluntary code development process to outline more detail on what a code could contain. Facebook's commitment to sensible regulatory frameworks for digital news is in line with the significant support we provide to the Australian news ecosystem. Our support for publishers comprises free organic distribution of news on our platforms that grows the audience for news publishers, customised tools and products to help News publishers monetize their content, initiatives to assist publishers to innovate with online and news content, direct investments by commissioning Australian news content that can appear on online services, including Facebook, and the indirect value to publishers such as brand awareness and community building. A core issue at the heart of this policy debate and the concepts paper itself is determining the value exchange between digital platforms and news publishers in Australia while setting aside the fact that we are competing for advertising dollars. In other words, who benefits or suffers more commercially when a publisher decides to share news content on online platforms like Google Search, YouTube or Facebook, news organisations or platforms? There's a pretty clear argument being made there. Google, YouTube and Facebook are profiting from Australian news stories and content and news companies don't seem too happy about it these three in particular seem to be making quite a bit of money off of the hard work of others. Which, you know, you can also say, well, platforms like YouTube isn't that the whole point. People publish stuff to get found. They put things on this video hub site that people can then search for things, and then they can be found and monetized through views. It's kind of how YouTube works. But I think the issue is a lot bigger than that, especially with Facebook, that isn't predominantly a in site. Google's a bit different because you are searching for a specific topic or you are searching for a, an event and the news is probably going to be the first thing that pops up, or maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. We welcome the opportunity to provide more information about the value exchange between Facebook and Australian news publishers. The consideration should be informed by empirical and objective analysis, as the available evidence to date does not necessarily indicate that the value exchange favours Facebook. For example, we made a change to our news feed ranking algorithm in January 2018 to prioritise content from friends and family. These changes had an effect of reducing audience exposure to public content from all pages, including news. Notwithstanding this, reduction in news content on our services over the past two years has seen an increase in the people engaging on our services and increased revenues, suggesting both that news content is highly subsuitable with other content for our users, and that news does not drive significant long-term commercial value for our business. Yeah, so Facebook's rebutting here. In the end, it all seems to come down to money. By Facebook's arguing that they're not, they don't profit enough. But the key thing is, they are profiting from news they're not paying for. Even if it isn't in the billions of dollars, they still are making some money from it. We have quantified data on some aspects of the value that we drive for publishers. For example, Facebook's newsfeed generated approximately $2.3 billion organic organic referrals to Australian news publisher domains from January through May 2020, which we estimate to be worth $195.8 million Australian dollars to Australian publishers, noting that Referral traffic totals from Facebook to news publishers vary with the news cycle. Moreover, Australia-based news publishers also participated in revenue share programs, such as our in-stream video advertising program and from January to May 2020. These publishers earned approximately 2.1 million Australian dollars. So it looks like both parties are making money. Both sides are making millions of dollars. They can't really complain about that. I'm not making millions of dollars out of doing this podcast. You know, maybe one day I might, fingers crossed, but can both sides really complain that they're not making enough money? One side made 2.1, the other made 2.3 billion. Yeah, that's a huge gap, but Facebook's making money. They might not think it's a lot. It might not be a significant amount of their revenue, but they're making a shitload of fucking money. But with that huge gap you can kind of see why the legislation was drawn up is to try and close that gap between the million and the billion dollar mark it needs to be a bit fairer probably maybe 2.1 million dollars is not a huge amount of revenue for a big news media outlet maybe it is maybe it isn't so furthermore australia-based news publishers generated approximately 27 million organic views in newsfeed on tagged branded content posts From January through to May 2020, there are just some aspects of the value that flows to Australian news businesses from Facebook that we have been able to quantify to date. In addition to this, we continue to ramp up our direct financial contributions to the news industry, not to make a profit, rather because we believe news is a public good and it plays an important social function. Well, that part you can't argue with. If you don't have some legitimate news, everything is fake news and no one believes anything. The ACCC chair, Rod Sims, is correct when he says that Facebook receives very little direct commercial value from news content. We have built tools that allow news publishers to share their content on our services, but not with the goal of driving revenue to us. Advertisers cannot attach or target ads to specific content like news. In fact, notwithstanding the traffic we provide to news publishers... News content represents only a very small fraction of the content in, an, in the average Facebook user's newsfeed. Because Facebook is primarily a service used to connect with family and friends, even if there is indirect value to digital platforms from news content, it is not healthy, nor sustainable, nor sustainable to expect that two private companies, Facebook and Google, are solely responsible for supporting a public good in solving the challenges faced by the Australian media industry. Okay, so maybe Australian media needs to pull its head out of its ass. If there were no news content available on Facebook in Australia, we are confident that the impact on Facebook's community metrics and revenues in Australia would not be significant. Because news content is highly subsuitable and most users do not come to Facebook with the intention of viewing news, that kind of is a good point, not a lot of People who read the news on a daily basis are probably going to get a lot of credible news from Facebook or from social media. But the absence of news on Facebook would mean publishers miss out on the commercial benefits of reaching a wide and diverse audience, and social value would be diminished because news would be harder to access for millions of Australians. Given the social value and benefit to news publishers, we would strongly prefer to continue enabling news publishers content to be available on our platform. Facebook hopes this process will yield a balanced, pragmatic, realistic code that does not encourage media concentration or reduce diversity and plurality in the Australian media sector. If the ACCC can act in an evidence-based way, this code could give Australian news publishers, digital platforms, and ultimately, Australian consumers confidence in the way ahead. While Facebook does not agree with the final report's finding, We will possess unequal bargaining power compared to some of the largest media companies in Australia and the world. We recognize that there is a merit in setting regulatory frameworks to give all Australian media organizations and Australian consumer confidence that we are contributing appropriately in the Australian news ecosystem. Based on the consultations we held with 20 publishers during the voluntary code process, and are now experiencing the news on Facebook, we believe a workable news code in Australia would. And the rest of the article outlines the 20 different points of how it would benefit Facebook. So they claim a workable news code in Australia would set a reasonable framework to encourage commercial arrangements between digital platforms and publishers. We propose a framework that upholds the primary Primacy of commercial negotiations between digital platforms and publishers, and establishes a cooperative and representative Australian Digital News Council to air and mediate complaints and concerns from publishers. It will also require transparency about significant changes made by digital platforms to their central algorithms used to rank, i.e. order content, including news content for users, yada yada, yada. provide certainty to news publishers that they will continue to receive the first Party data via referral traffic and subscriptions that they already receive. Uh, Next one. Articulate principles that guide digital platforms in surfacing news that meets the interest of users. Digital platforms could be required to publish information about the factors that inform the news content that people see and the order in which they see it best practice regulatory principles would see a code that sets broad-based obligations for industry participants rather than singling out two companies on an arbitrary and subjective basis and that's where this huge the problem has gotten so out of hand is the arbitration proposed by the Australian government that's what I think Facebook and Google are not too happy about is they want to negotiate on an open playing field rather than have a mandatory price dictated to them by a arbitrator. The decision to limit the initial version of the code to two U.S. companies is discriminatory and will inevitably give an unfair advantage to Facebook's competitors in the technology sector, including rivals from countries that propagate different and undesirable visions for the internet. Okay, that is a legit concern, but Facebook doesn't own the internet, and nor should they have a say in how the internet is run, because if that's based on some of the shit you see on Facebook that doesn't speak too highly of the moral standing of Facebook executives making decisions. It obviously seems like they have no idea what goes on at their own company. Zuckerberg doesn't seem to have much of an idea of what actually goes on in his company. So why should one company like Facebook, who, you know, their CEO started a who's hotter list, why should a guy like that make the moral call on how the internet is run no company should i mean if anything it should be done at a government level but that also brings up a whole new set of questions and problems there should be a clear objective future process and time frame for extending the same requirements to other distributors of digital news in australia to avoid distorting the market there is no necessity for the code to require greater sharing of user data the ACCC may wish to consider giving publishers certainty that we will continue to make data available about the audience they reach on Facebook and the performance of their content, noting specific datasets may change as products change. Finally, the code needs to recognise that there is healthy competitive rivalry in the relationship between digital platforms and news publishers, in that we compete for advertising revenue regulatory interventions will impose an excessive cost on one digital advertising provider in order in order to subside a competitor with inevitably dis, will inevitably distort advertising markets potentially leading to higher prices not that Facebook ads isn't expensive enough it is not reasonable to shift the burden and ask the hundreds of thousands of Australian small businesses who rely on digital advertising especially in the midst of a coronavirus crisis and economic uncertainty to bear the cost of subsiding the production of news. We look forward to continuing to work with the ACCC to support the development of a digital news code. The rest of the report just goes through all the technical details of the plan. So there are some very legit and very good points brought up there by both Mm -hmm. sides. At first... It's very easy to get outraged at Facebook and Google for wanting to pull news services. Yeah, it's a very cunty thing to do. That was probably pretty heavy-handed. They should have been more open in the negotiating process. But there are some legit concerns. The advertising thing, yeah, it all comes down to money in the end. One side doesn't want to pay. One side wants them to pay. Then They're claiming they're not making enough money from news to warrant spending more. So back to the real world and what it means to everyday life all right so it's thursday the 18th of february 2021 just another normal day for most people nothing out of the ordinary most had no idea as to what was to come zuckerberg struck without warning striking fast and sparing none i don't remember what time exactly all this happened but it was pretty early and just like that it was done even the government had no clue the restrictions were coming. There was no way, no forewarning. They found out the same time everyone else did that the news services on Facebook Australia were completely cut off. That's pretty unprofessional. Where is the courtesy? Let's just go straight for the nuclear option right off the bat rather than trying to talk things out. Like I said, it's a normal day. And then all of a sudden the news services were all gone. So really, who the fuck does Facebook and Zuckerberg think they are? They just told a country to go fuck itself. I mean, this is a company, after all, that is dictating the terms of a proposed law to a country. More or less, country versus company. So Facebook restricted all access to news to Australian Facebook users, all because it doesn't want to pay for news and would rather, and rather than come to an agreement With the government, they just cut all access to news services, even though Facebook claims that news content only makes up under 4% of what is seen in a user's newsfeed. Why is it called a newsfeed then? So in the global scheme of things, this isn't the biggest, most earth-shaking thing to happen, but it is annoying, and what happened on Thursday should send out a clear warning to the rest of the world that if it can happen in Australia over a petty, trivial issue like paying for news content, it can happen anywhere. It can happen to any country over any issue these tech companies don't agree with. So this brings up the question, if a company can act like it's above a country, who controls or monitors a company like Facebook? Who are a law unto themselves? Where do you draw the line? Where does business freedom bleed into national freedom, democratic freedom? You can say what you like about the freedom of businesses and companies, they can run things how they see fit, and can in turn have their own policies and procedures that are separate from a country's laws or a current or yet to be passed law. So a good example of this is Samsung and Apple. Does anyone really read the fine print when they press agree? Private companies have their own rules and policies, that's what makes them a private company and not tied to a government. On the one hand, that is the freedom of owning a company, they can have their own terms of service, but where do you draw a line with that when it affects 26 million people? Two hundred and six million people, two billion, who tugs on the corporate reins when they get out of control. That's a very weird conundrum. On the one hand, governments have had a tough time bringing big companies under control or cooperation, even in legal cases, due to these policies. Apple is one. The FBI wanted phone records or access to an Apple user's phone, and they said no. We value our customers' privacy. If we if we give access to this user's information and to his phone. What's to prevent the FBI or the CIA asking for any other user's information? This guy was caught up in a terrorist case. I think it was a domestic terrorist case. He was a person of interest or something like that. And they didn't budge. So on the one hand, yeah, at least you know that they've kind of got your back with privacy. But at the same time, if it's a criminal investigation investigation, does this make it okay to give out this information? But on the other hand, governments are also more than willing to employ private companies to do their dirty work so they don't get their own hands dirty and so the public won't find out the dodgy shit that they're really up to. If you take their private security company, Blackwater for example, they can do things that the Defence Force is prohibited legally and morally from doing. They've been caught up in a couple of legal issues recently, Mom was for the uh, massacre in Iraq somewhere. There's a whole grey issue. I'm not going to get into that. I don't know enough about it. But that's an example of the government using these companies' terms and conditions for their own gain. So if you're into UFOs, the next example might ring a bell Bigelow Aerospace. It's a company from Robert Bigelow, the billionaire. They were contracted to do some to do some work for NASA or something like that to come up with some portable habitation units and there's rumors I can't remember if it's fact or if it's just rumor still that they have extraterrestrial technology that they're studying this is the same for Tom DeLonge's company the Academy to the Stars they've been I think it's on I think it's on public record you can easily find a news article about it They've got a contract with the U.S. Army to run tests on on non-terrestrial vehicles. Company policies also act as a way of not making findings public record. It's a good way to hide shit. Companies can choose what is known and what is not, especially to the public. They don't have to tell you anything. If they choose to tell you something, it's probably going to be heavily edited, and the public will never know the truth. So who pulls a company like Facebook into line when they grossly overstep the boundaries there's also a, a very hippocratic part of that equation these companies want everything run their way or the highway they don't want to play ball with other companies and they, and they certainly don't give a shit about the government so where does this go in the future i mean do they get to the point where they are more powerful than a government or a country did they become their own independent sovereign nation who knows So big tech as far as i know is pretty unregulated There needs to be some type of governmental oversight to keep the pricks in line. Big tech is pretty much the Wild West. There's no laws or regulations preventing them from pretty much doing what they like with your data and personal info. This topic is still very much up in the air. A lot of governments haven't really put too much effort or focus onto personal data because this is the way a lot of these companies make their money. These sites, that they run on targeting experiences and tailoring the social media experience to a user based on the personal information that you divulge to them who the fuck knows what they actually do with it do they sell it on to third party companies some of the phone companies do sell your information to third parties who sell to fourth parties and fifth parties and sixth parties and then all of a sudden you're getting scam calls from someone on the other side of the planet in a call center claiming to be part of the telecom provider that you are with Big tech is a very murky world. It's a very slippery slope to go on. But These days, if you have done anything online, you don't own your own personal information, one of the big tech companies does. They can do with that information what they see fit. This makes you wonder if they told the truth, would these tech companies' CEOs be in jail until the laws change and the government finally gets off its ass and decides that this is a very real thing that isn't going away. Governments all over, all over the world are run by a bunch of rich old white guys who don't understand technology and don't want to know about the future. They thought that this shit was a, a fad for kids and for teenagers and it was going to blow over like the, next, like the next big craze. But unfortunately, it hasn't gone away. It's getting bigger and bigger every day. These companies' annual profits are in the hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars. And it's got so far away from government oversight and regulation that it will probably never be reined in. So if the government had their finger on the pulse and were a little bit with it and didn't take everything as a joke that they didn't understand, if it was an oil company or a mining company, they'd be all over it. and be trying to milk it for every cent they could. But they don't because they struggle to understand the digital cyber world. Or maybe the game is just about control and power and information is the new currency. The truth is illegal, it seems. You know, take Julian Assange. I mean what law has the guy actually broken? He's facing life in prison for a crime he didn't really commit. He is the owner of a website that publishes leaked documents. He wasn't the guy that hacked them. He wasn't the guy that he wasn't the guy that hacked them or sourced the documents and put them online. He's merely the owner operator of a company that hosts them, the same way Zuckerberg is the owner and CEO of Facebook. He doesn't make the fake news or own the sites that do. His company just circulates them and puts them in your news feed so you, can, so you see them first, react to them, like or dislike them. That's the way the game is played with Facebook. It's all about likes or angry faces. The whole thing runs on the negative experience. The more negative the image or the story, the more likely you are to click, read, and react to it. See, Zuckerberg and Facebook allegedly lie, cheat, and steal, just like any other of these companies... But Zuckerberg is untouchable, for now. He most likely didn't even come up with the idea of Facebook in the first place. But a guy like Julian Assange is facing life in jail for owning WikiLeaks. So where do you draw the line between business and bullying, making profit and outright tyranny? And just where does a company like Google or Facebook get off dictating the terms of a proposed law to a country? Just the, the fucking levels of arrogance at these companies is astounding. Are the CEOs of these companies like Mark Zuckerberg? Are they on a power trip? I mean, if his ego gets any bigger, he won't be able to fit through the, a standard size door frame. And really, what good has he done for the world except help facilitate a generation glued to their phones, weaning themselves on an endless stream of negativity and fake news? You can say what you want about a lot of entrepreneurs, but a lot of them do give back. A lot of them, even if it is for a tax write-off or for profit, they still do some good. I mean, Elon Musk is trying to save the planet. Loving my hate him. He is generally trying to solve a problem with the planet. These tech CEOs, what problems are they trying to solve? For the most part they're just trying to create more problems. So like I covered on a couple of episodes ago, Bill Gates isn't the bad guy. It's Facebook and Google. Allegedly. Back to the news. It's not just Australian news companies that Australian users aren't able to access. It's all news from the ABC, SBS and the New York Times, the Washington Post and the BBC. You name a news service and it's gone. Maybe it's a good thing in the long run for news and journalism. It might give back some credibility to reliable news outlets that have felt the effects of the fake news era. It might encourage people to use news apps and sites rather than rely on social media third parties to to present the news the algorithm thinks you need to see. On the flip side of that, is all those people that do rely on Facebook for their only source of news. It might encourage these people to go outside their comfort zone and seek credible sources of information. So the levels of hypocrisy in these companies is mind blowing. Facebook cancels real news services, but still allows fake news to be circulated and run rampant on its platform. Look at all those sites you see that pretend to be news services that are just a bunch of made up shit. These companies have no legitimacy. It's all just clickbait titles. Those apparent news services are allowed to still be on a platform like Facebook, even though they claim to do their part against misinformation, especially with coronavirus. They did nothing to lift a finger to help get the real information out there. They just kept perpetuating fake news and bullshit stories because it got clicks, it got likes, it got reaction. So they can turn off the news overnight, but claim they can't do anything about fake news on their site. I call bullshit. As I mentioned before, it's a negative news and posts get more reaction and clicks and likes than a positive one. The Facebook algorithm feeds off of the negativity, and so does Zuckerberg, I think. So, the social media sites, Facebook in particular, they they can't stop people like Trump, they can't stop terrorists or criminals, but they can stop the real news makes you wonder about a lot of things about these companies, what they claim they can and can't do, and what they put out to the press. It's You really have to wonder about these companies, their mora- morality. But as soon as money's involved and a legitimate news service is asking for a little bit extra for their news content that they haven't paid for, then they can cancel that overnight. It makes you wonder. Overall, it won't stop the news. It will just slow down how quickly some people can get access to the information. And you can always search for the news you want rather than have it curated to you by Facebook. It's a pretty shitty timing to restrict news during a pandemic. I mean just imagine if this was this time last year, when access to news was vital. It's not a privilege, it's a it's a right. With an ever changing situation, as we found ourselves with COVID 19 last year, you know, where one hour the borders were open, then the next they were closed, flights are cancelled. It seemed on a daily basis, you know, certain travellers had to isolate, others didn't, depending on what state or country you were visiting. Even COVID press conferences were a daily occurrence on Facebook. Imagine if that was cancelled at the height of the pandemic, when all this essential, vital information couldn't get out to a decent portion of the population. It would have been absolute chaos. If you can't watch a live COVID press conference on your phone how are you supposed to access that information they didn't play a lot of this shit on tv and if they did you probably wouldn't watch it but if it comes up as a notification on social media you probably would very poor timing facebook it wasn't just news pages that were affected like a lot of people thought it was the bureau of meteorology state health and retail stores are also affected so i mean how are they remotely news State health, same thing, and retail stores are definitely not new. So why did they cancel their feeds? They also turned off a lot of charity and non-profit organizations feed because they rely on sharing news services, especially with the bushfire. Western Australia bushfire page was turned off in the middle of a bushfire. So if you were relying on that information to keep you and your family safe, you might have a bit of trouble. Maine also brings up the question is who's liable if, if lives are lost because they've turned off the news services during a pandemic or a you know, bushfire or another natural disaster and lives are lost, who is responsible for that? Who pays the price in the end? So where is the safety? Where's the duty of care? Or I guess you don't care if it gets in the way of profits. Tech giants don't want to pay a few million dollars for news that they should have been paying for. A long time ago and going back to the hypocrisy of facebook they have their own pay-to-play system that they encourage businesses to boost the post by buying ads they have facebook ads they have boosted posts it's the same shit as every other company does now it's this pay-to-play system if you want to get recognized you got to pay for the privilege to be sponsored or ranked higher than your competition ebay has sponsored listings if you want to rise higher in the search you can set the applicable ad rate you would like to pay. Facebook is the same, they make small businesses pay and ultimately in the end, they're probably gonna be the biggest victims of corporate greed, it will be small business owners. A lot of them do rely on targeted advertisement that they pay for through Facebook and Google. So how much does Facebook and Google actually make off or out of the news? As mentioned before, if there are no changes made to the system, tech companies will keep on turning over huge profits every year and not pay a cent for content so according to the australian competition watchdog if an australian advertiser spends hundred dollars on online ad space 24 of that hundred dollars goes to facebook and 49 goes to google which deprives a media outlet of revenue but having said that i'm not sure how they lose too much revenue i mean most businesses pay for ad space it's how the game is played online it isn't that much difference small businesses aren't crying wolf and and claiming that they should be compensated for their own original content that they produce that's related to their business. If a coffee shop advertises a certain original coffee creation, they're not claiming that they need to be compensated for that content, they just wanna get the message out there so people will come in and buy. The more you pay, the more exposure, right? Companies and businesses have paid a lot to the television industry, to advertisers, to run ads for their business or their product. The more a business pays, the more ad time they get. It gets shown at all hours of the day, usually in the prime time spots. Prime example of this is the Super Bowl. Companies pay millions of dollars for a couple of seconds of ad space. What is it like? Sometimes they what, $2 million for a s- two seconds of time? So you've got a company like Doritos that might pay $80, a 100000000 million for a commercial run during the Super Bowl because they have so many billion people watching it. Movies are the same. Businesses pay top dollar to have their ads shown during movies if it's a big movie say you gotta have a new star trek coming out the ad space for that will be a hell of a lot higher than some art house indie film with 20 people watching it it would be a different story if they didn't promote your business or product after taking your money or an ad doesn't reach the target audience that you have paid for that's a different issue and that means the advertising business is not facilitating the terms of the agreement and that's a whole different issue both companies argue that they're under no obligations to pay media outlets. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. They're probably, there's probably truth on both sides of that argument. Still, it's wrong that they're not paying for content. So Facebook aren't the only tech company to threaten the Australian government. Google, a few months back, tried a very similar, similar tactic. They even had a hearts and mind campaign in place with that really annoying yellow box with the, listen to our plea. So Google, unlike Facebook, came to a settlement with the Australian government uh, a couple of months ago before it got to the, we have to pass a law to make a company pay. Google agreed to pay, in most cases, a few million dollars for news rights. Unlike Facebook, news is a little more critical to a search engine. They need the news more than Facebook needs the news for the results of a search. So to help better explain this, I found a good article on theconversation.com posted February 18, 2021. It's by James Meese from RMIT University. Google has been inking multi-million dollar deals to pay media companies for news content that will appear on Google News Showcase. Rupert Murdoch's News Corp is the latest beneficiary of a partnership with the tech giant. It will receive significant payments over three years, a share of ad revenue and inclusion in the development of a subscription platform. The agreement's a commercial in confidence, so numbers are speculative. But Google will reportedly pay seven West media $30 million a year, while nine is thought to have secured $30 million annually across five years. The timing of these deals raises questions. The long-contested news media bargaining code, which aims to get Google and Facebook to pay for news, is set to be introduced into federal parliament. The tech giants have been vocal critics of the code, arguing that they that they have no obligation to pay media companies for Australian news that appears on their platforms. While Facebook has simply pulled all news content for its Australian users and all Australian news from the rest of the world, Google instead is handing out millions to local publishers. Why? The bottom line is Google is dis- desperate to avoid paying for news that appears in Google Search, which... Treasurer Josh Frydenberg initially planned to make them do. Google believes that this would strike at the core of its business model. It maintains that search engines are supposed to index the web passively, collect whatever is available, and present the results to users. Paying news outlets for content on search would mean giving them special treatment above all other businesses and creators whose web pages also appear in results. Yeah, Maybe that is actually a legitimate point. If Murdoch-owned news outlets have multi-million dollar deals with Google, guess whose news is appearing first in a search result? It's not going to be an independent outlet or a foreign competitor. The Morrison government originally ignored these complaints. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me the Morrison government would ignore complaints. According to a Sydney Morning Herald report, Frydenberg could be willing to hold off on designating Google search under the code for as long as the deal for as long as deals are being made according to the report google is playing ball and offering deals that are worth the same or us or a similar amount to what a company would have received for appearances of content in google search but we still don't know the end result Friedenberg has the power to designate at any time which google products are subject to the code google search could be Included at a later date if the amount of money handed over is deemed insufficient. Both the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, which originally proposed the code, and the federal government both likely see these deals as a positive outcome. This is because the code was essentially meant to bring the platforms to the negotiating table. Facebook and Google had given money to certain news outlets in the past. In an ad hoc way, but with no mention of setting a global precedent to pay for all news content produced across the country. The trick the ACCC and the government employed it was to introduce legislation that would force platforms to pay for news. A key element for this reform was the use of final offer arbitration. With this, if a deal can be struck between Google and a media company, both will have to present their offers to defer the final decision to an arbitrator. This arbitrator would then be able to adjust the figures if neither offer was in the public interest. Businesses are desperate to avoid speculative costs linked to arbitration schemes. They want certainty. Google had a good reason to start making deals, especially if it means potentially only paying for news content that appears on Google News Showcase and not search. This doesn't mean the news media bargaining code won't be used. Google has only started making deals, but it would be a surprise if Google planned to end up in arbitration. The recent developments have underlined the curious role of the bargaining code. It's meant to operate as a legislative threat, so arbitration only happens when platforms and news outlets can't agree. If Google keeps handing out money, this is likely to happen. The deals will likely give Australian journalism a long-awaited financial boost, Unlike the occasional partnership in the past, media businesses can now bank on a form of sustained revenue streams from Google. The challenge now will be to ensure this new revenue funds public interest journalism, which is really the only benefit the average Australian can receive. The government has indicated there will be a review after one year to ensure the code is working as intended, and I'm sure nothing will go wrong with that. Also, the deals are being struck with major media companies that have significant bargaining power. While the code enables smaller outlets to bargain collectively or accept a standard offer, it remains to be seen if Google will be as generous to regional publishers. I guarantee they won't. Adding to that, Australian news media have lost large amounts of advertising revenue over the past three decades. A space in which Google and Facebook continue to dominate, they may also have to plan for less revenue overall if Facebook sticks to its guns decides to stay away from the negotiating table and keep Australian news content banned on its platforms. Very interesting. And concerning. The moral of the story is big tech businesses are stingy cunts that don't want to lose a single dime to pay for what they have been stealing for decades. Allegedly. They make plenty through affiliate marketing ads and the pay-to-play system. This has gone on for several months, with Facebook threatening action as late as September of 2020. Talks between Facebook and the Australian Federal Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, have been going back and forth throughout last year, which finally broke down a few weeks ago. Both sides claim they're in the right, the government want reforms, however Facebook says that the Australian government has misunderstood the relationship between the platform and its publishers who use social media sites to share content. So this is a quote from Facebook. They had to make a stark choice between following the proposed new laws and banning all news content from its platform. It was with a heavy heart that they had to pretty much just pull all the news in Australia. They had no other choice and that negotiations had broken down. Josh Frydenberg, the treasurer, he replied saying that the actions were wrong and heavy-handed and that they had no warning before Facebook pulled the news. Okay, arguments on both sides, both valid points, both sides have reason to be pissed off and so do the Australian people, especially the ones that use get their news from Facebook. So after that, followed the boycott Facebook, which um, may have just fizzled out. I haven't heard much about it. Was has been wide, widely spread over other, for, other social media sites and they lost a lot of users overnight which they claimed not to care about and they also cl- didn't release the official figures of how many Australian users had dropped Facebook. If they didn't release those figures, it must have been a hell of a lot. So in the long run, it will hopefully be for the best. It might force tech giants to compensate media, however smaller news outlets will be the ones affected the most. As for now, Facebook has reached a settlement with the government, they're not releasing the details of the negotiations or what it, what was discussed or how it's going to play out. Both sides are claiming victory. Facebook is happy with the, the agreement and so is the Australian government. So in the end, this is just big news versus small news. Who really wins in the end and whose news will be pushed to the top of the newsfeed? It's another form of false news being seen over legitimate sources of news. It's the negative experience versus the positive. The Murdoch and Packer owned news outlets can afford to ride out the storm and they will end up profiting in the end. More on that in a minute. Google has reached deals with bigger outlets. They saw it was a better option to pay an agreed upon amount now than to be forced to pay a larger amount later on. In most cases, it was a few million dollars. That's from companies that make billions and billions a year. In the case of Google, they have reached an agreement with News Corp. I mean, spot the problem there. They've reached agreements with news outlets that turn over millions and billions of dollars a year. These media outlets are also owned by billionaires. They also produce some of the worst news on the planet. A lot of the stuff is not factual. They do hit pieces on celebrities. They make up stories to sell newspapers. Their business is run for profit. then, in the service of news and public interest stories. They care about how many subscriptions they have and how many papers are sold. And all these companies own magazines like, you know, those trashy weekly magazines you see at the counter at supermarkets that are a couple of couple of bucks, you know, Woman's Weekly, New Idea, all that shit. They also own or have a stake in the big television networks in Australia and overseas. I mean, Rupert Murdoch owns, or well, used to own Fox. So spot the problem there. News Corp is owned by billionaire Rupert Murdoch. Google has agreed to pay for content across its many sites and platforms, and he owns a lot for significant payments. They haven't released just how much they're getting paid, but the real outcome of this is a wealthy man is going to be made wealthier. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. The government hadn't brought this up. Maybe things would just continue to go the same way for the foreseeable future maybe something good will come out of it maybe smaller sites will get more legitimate for the quality of their news rather than the quantity maybe people will lose faith in the big mass produced news but i doubt that considering it has such a dominant hold most people just regurgitate the mainstream news and not think twice about it so maybe in the long run it will be a good thing but for but for the foreseeable future the bridge is just getting richer Murdoch has been a critic of tech companies for a long time for not paying for content. He's even called on them to pay up for for using his and his company's content. It's funny, it's always the rich pricks that have a problem with not getting paid. The smaller outlets aren't the ones jumping up and down crying wolf. So Google seems to be more reasonable than Facebook and are willing to reach some type of an agreement. Even if there is external pressure being put on them to make some changes by the government, they still seem willing to play ball. But they're not innocent. Google did threaten to pull its search engines from Australia due to the proposed law changes. So maybe News Corp has some legit points to bring up. It's a business after all, it's its primary goal is to make money, make money for its shareholders and for the people who own the companies. On the other hand, the quality of its news is questionable. News Corp own a few big outlets like the Wall Street Journal, The Australian, The Sun and The Times among others. They also own, as I previously mentioned, they own a lot of commercial television networks and film studios. I think Murdoch had the producer of Fight Club fired because he didn't like Fight Club and didn't want Fox putting money into it even though it became a cult hit and the guy lost his job. So that's the kind of guy you're dealing with. So according to Robert Thompson, News Corp's chief executive, so this is a quote, This has been a passionate cause for our company for well over a decade, and I'm gratified that the terms of the trade are changing, not just for News Corp, but for every publisher, end quote. So as of 2020, Google has started to license, this is a quote from Google, high quality content, end quote. They've put up a billion dollars as part of an initiative to get news media outlets on board with their Google News Showcase. Google played it smart and preserved the majority of its reputation by agreeing to a settlement rather than pay up a set fee appointed by an arbitrator. So they, they, they play this one smarter. Most of their reputation is intact. You know, a lot of people did have a problem with Google. They have been pretty doing some pretty dodgy stuff over the past couple of years, but All these companies have, and no one really seems to care. Google's threat was mostly piss and wind, and just like Facebook, it was completely unnecessary and heavy-handed. Google didn't go through with their threats, they just threatened they would do it. But realistically, they were probably never going to do it because they had too much to lose through their search results. So it doesn't do their public image any good, and if it can happen in one country over a pointless issue such as money, this can happen anywhere. These companies, at the end of the day, are just a bunch of greedy cunts. The whole big tech industry is the Wild West and it's unregulated. It's run by a bunch of arrogant, self-important geeks who think they're gods, that are untouchable, and that the rules don't apply to them. As always, it's the little guys that will be affected the most and will lose the most through revenue and publicity. Might not seem like a big deal, but we all know how the manipulated algorithms of these companies work. It will make finding smaller sites and new services a lot harder to find than the, than the big boys that can afford to pay for more advertisement. In the end, they just will end up as another victim of the algorithm. So what's next? So let's have a better look at the effects. All right, so this is an article from abc.net.au. Facebook thinks it's won the battle of the media bargaining code, but so does the government. This was published by technology reporter James Pirtle. With thus settling on the news media bargaining code Battle Royale, both Facebook and the Australian government had have declared victory. The legislation passed the Senate on Tuesday night, meaning the government can now make Facebook and Google negotiate with news producers to pay for content that appears on search engines or social media. It's seemingly the end of a series of threats and standoffs that culminated in an 11th hour negotiations between Facebook boss Mark Zuckerberg and Treasurer Josh Frydenberg this week after the social media giant banned australian news on its platform the government got its bargaining code news businesses will get their check and facebook gets to gets a few key concessions so who won and who lost did facebook or the government blink first facebook had been dead against the proposed code for months threatening to block links to news articles over a code it said was unworkable But this week, after banning news, the company had a change of heart. It decided the code was, in fact, workable, at least with a few amendments. In a series of calls between Mr Zuckerberg and Mr Frydenberg, the social media behemoth negotiated small but important changes that mean there's a good chance the code may never be used at all, said Tama Lever, a professor of internet studies at Curtin University. Among them was the provision that before a digital platform is made subject to the code, the treasurer must first take into account whether it has has reached commercial agreements with news media businesses. The code will sit on the treasurer's desk and can can pull the trigger whenever a platform is big enough to squeeze for money, Professor Lever said. The treasurer hasn't said how many deals Facebook and Google must strike with news producers to avoid the code, but it appears that Google is getting close, Professor Lever said. Google has already struck deals with News Corp, Nine Fairfax, Seven West Media, The Guardian and news company ACM. The company is also expected to reach agreements with SBS and ABC. The treasurer appears happy with what Google has done by striking deals with the major players, Professor Lever said. If the treasurer ever decided to pull the trigger, Facebook could simply ban news again. Another last-minute concession gives the company or Google at least one month's notice that it will be subject to the code. This means Facebook would have a month to strike more deals to avoid it or pull news again. So they wouldn't be subject to it, Professor Lever said. Yeah, it's interesting. So if the government decides to pull the trigger whenever they like, Google and Facebook can also pull news and services, especially if negotiations fail and they can't reach an agreement. Yeah, interesting. So both sides are just pretty much playing Russian roulette. They're going to see which side blinks so they can try and get the best deal for themselves. Both sides are essentially playing the same game, and I think both sides are wrong and both sides are right. It's a very sticky situation. Will Facebook end up paying less money? It's likely. Under the code, Facebook will have had to negotiate with news producers according to strict rules, Professor Lever said. None of these are being struck behind closed doors. Getting deals done before or around the code means Facebook is still calling a lot of the shots in terms of what the contracts specify, Professor Lever said. We don't know how much Facebook will pay news producers, but James Mees, a media law and policy researcher at RMIT University, estimated it could be similar to what is currently paying news producers in other countries to use their content in Facebook News. Facebook News, which is a tab within the app that features original journalism, is a new feature that the company is rolling out in the UK. They were planning to introduce Facebook News here at some point, Dr Meese said, Paying some money to news producers is business as usual for them. Let that sink in. Facebook may end up paying news producers what it would have paid them anyway without the threat of being subject to the code. Interesting. I'm guessing the Facebook deal will be significantly less than the Google deal, Professor Lever said. Facebook has been thumping the table that it should be treated differently. Yeah, maybe there's some legitimacy to that. They are a completely different entity than Google. And if they're going to negotiate pay deals with independent with individual news producers, then I think the companies also need to be treated differently. Facebook is not a news site; it's not a search engine, and I actually agree with Facebook on this one that it probably shouldn't be treated as one. Will Facebook end up paying fewer news businesses? Again, probably. Under the code, any news any news media business with revenue of 150,000 or over could no- negotiate with the platform to be paid for content. Under the new arrangement, Facebook probably only needs to strike a deal with the big players. Yeah, once again small guys miss out. One would assume that as long as the big players are kept happy, that may well be enough. It's really up to the treasurer, Dr. Meese said. There are smaller outlets that may that may well not see a dollar. This makes Regional Australia, which tends to be served by smaller media outlets the big loser under the New Deal, Mr Meese said Dr. Meese said. Professor Lever agreed with Regional Australia was the clear loser. Google has struck a deal with AMC, which owns several large regional mastheads, including the Canberra Times and Newcastle Herod, The Examiner and Border Mail, The Courier and the Illawarra Mercury. But other regional news businesses may well miss out. Meanwhile, big media companies such as News Corp came out on top. Rupert Murdoch is the biggest winner here, Professor Lever said. He's already paywalled most of his sites, of course he has. Now he gets money for linking to things that people can't read without a subscription. Well, yeah, double dipping there. Without his political clout, we wouldn't have a bargaining code. So if you don't know, Murdoch has a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. He's very influential to a lot of the top politicians in Australia and in the United States. He controls a lot of what people see in the news in America and in Australia. He does fund or partly fund, allegedly, some of the political parties. So if he starts jumping up and down about this, politicians are going to listen. And it doesn't surprise me that he has influenced the government's decision to get this bargaining code up and running. So what did the government achieve? Whether or not the bargaining code is ever used? The government got what it wanted, a large sum of money flowing from platforms to news publishers. It's the threat of the code that forced tech companies to negotiate, Dr. Meese said. Facebook finally realized that the government's intention here was never to use the code the way it was written. The intention was to use the code as a sledgehammer to force platforms to pay. So in other words, this is kind of just like someone has made money that the government doesn't have access to and they want to create a law so they can go after this untapped reservoir of big tech money. The same way they've gone after money from oil companies... Big businesses all around the world, and even mining companies. So in other words, they just want a piece of the pie. The way they, the governments have always manipulated law so they can get to that hidden money from from businesses that are doing well off of either new technology or new resources that weren't previously known about. They just want to get to that reservoir of money that isn't being taxed or kicked back to the government. Everyone's corrupt. All these, all these cunts are the same. Back to the article. Last week, when reports broke that Google had negotiated deals with the Australian media companies worth tens of millions of dollars, the treasurer claimed credit. Of course he did. None of these deals would be happening if we didn't have the legislation before the parliament, he said at the, he said at the time. But legislating only to force parties to negotiate comes at a cost, the legislation. Aside from the provisions about money, the code also included requirements for platforms to give access to engagement data and notice of algorithm changes. They have clearly had a win, but it might not be the greatest win of all time, Dr. Meese said. What's the point of the bits and bobs of legislation if it might not be used that regularly? So who won and who lost? Facebook, Google and the Australian government and news businesses businesses all emerged from the recent events as winners, Dr. Meese said. He gave the government's performance a B+, plus and Facebook a C. Facebook's victory came at the cost of public rela- of public relations disaster, either accidentally or otherwise. Its news ban had a chaotic effect, blocking access to important information on emergency services pages in the midst of the Western Australian bushfires. Facebook's thi- Facebook thinks they won, but I think they're misreading the room a bit, Professor Lever said. Australians are angrier... With them, then they realise. A recent blog post by the company's vice president of Global Affairs Communication did not apologise for the news ban disruption. No, well, of course they wouldn't. Google comes out of the Facebook news ban looking good, Professor Lever said. Having mounted a PR campaign and threatening to withdraw its services, it abruptly backtracked the start-struck deals with publishers instead. Google also gets to enjoy the concessions Facebook negotiated and ultimately paid for with its reputation. And the Australian public, they came out of this as losers, Professor Lever said. On one hand, they endured the disruption of the news ban and Facebook treating them like a political football for about a week. On the other, they will benefit from the tens of millions of dollars that may now be invested in journalism. However, there's no guarantee the news companies will use the money For public interest, journalism, or any kind of journalism at all, Professor Lever said, that sucks. So in the end, this is really just a non-issue. No one really won in the end. The government had the the plans in place. Facebook had paid for news in other countries, in some other countries, without any issues. Rather than struck a deal, Facebook decided to be a bunch of pricks about it and ban the news, which lasted for a week and... Just like that, it was back. I guess time will tell what the long-term effects will be. Australia is the guinea pig for the rest of the world. In a way, if Facebook does try to ban news again, and they will lose even more credibility if they do. The war of words didn't last long. A week after the ban, Facebook reinstated news after a, an arrangement had been reached. Some amendments were made to the bill, which are more than likely favoured or suited to Facebook better than the original terms of the agreement both sides claimed victories the details of the agreement were not made public so we can only guess what was actually agreed upon the treasurer mr Friedenberg, was happy with the new bill as is zuckerberg reportedly all in all big waste of everyone's time but the damage has been done to facebook's credibility like he needed another reason to doubt facebook's credibility this is a quote from SBS News, which I think sums up this entire saga pretty accurately. What's clear to us is that what has transpired in recent weeks in Australia has very much been a proxy battle for the world with major global ramifications. He told Sky News on Friday, if this was so easy, other countries would have done it long ago. End of quote. So I think facebook has underestimated how much it pissed off and made people really fucking angry and that may well indeed be their downfall facebook might not might not be jumping up and down about the if they lose a few million facebook users in australia they also claim that australia only makes up about half a billion in its annual revenue they're not making the billions as they would from other countries So maybe they don't give a shit if, I don't know, if everyone in Australia got rid of their Facebook account and if 26 million accounts just disappeared overnight, they may say they don't care about that. That's not a significant number to affect their bottom line. That might not seem like a big enough number for them, but if you have a few hundred million in the US and Canada turn their Facebook accounts off, maybe that might make them stand up and listen. If the rest of the world went the same way. And all of a sudden you have a few billion users that have just disappeared overnight. Maybe that number is large enough to make them stand up and take notice. Just to finish off this episode, I found a very interesting article on abc.net.au titled, Why Facebook Defy the Government's Wishes While Google Buckled. It's by Peter Martin. It has a couple of interesting points about differences between Google and Facebook. So what's the difference between Google and Facebook? One difference in, in the past week, Google more or less agreed to pay some Australian news outlets for the content. Faced with threat of government action to force it to, Facebook did not. Temporarily removing Australian news sources from its feeds. A decision it has now reversed. After getting a range of concessions from the government, another is the reason why. It's that Google faces competition where Facebook really doesn't. In economist's language, that's because Facebook enjoys a rare network effect. Google, scarcely at all. If I want to switch from Google to another search engine, something I've done, it costs me next to nothing. I might find it hard to move my search history over, although there's probably an app for that, but otherwise the new search engine will either be better, worse, or about the same as the one I left. I'm free to find out. Google faces competition. It means that Google is forced to defend itself from competition or the threat of competition by providing an extraordinarily good service, not so Facebook. Although a relatively new concept in economics, the idea, the idea of a network effect dates back to at least 1908, when the president of the American telephone and telegraph company, Theodore Vale, spelled it out in a letter to stockholders. <laughs> A telephone without a connection at the other end of the line is not even a toy or a scientific instrument, he wrote. It is one of the most useless things in the world. Its value depends on the connection with the other telephone and increases with the number of connections. Interesting quote. The idea has since expressed in a mathematical formula, but there's no need to get into details. The world's first telephone was indeed useless. The second allowed one household to reach only one other, But by the time there were millions and almost every household had one, each telephone became incredibly valuable, allowing that household to reach almost every other household. A startup that tried to compete with a phone system would be offering a very unappealing product. It wouldn't be able to offer anything like the connections of the existing system until a huge proportion of the population signed up, meaning people would be reluctant to sign up, meaning it would stay unappealing. Which is the point Vale was making. When it gets big enough, the telephone service is something close to a natural monopoly. There's no point in anyone setting up a new competing one. And in Australia, we haven't. The the competing companies, Telstra, Optus and so on, share the one network. The ASX, Australian Stock Exchange, is another example, as is eBay. You could try to sell something on a different platform, but you wouldn't reach nearly as many potential customers. So you mightn't get as good a price. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission puts it this way. In its report on Facebook, even if the government made it easier for a user to switch to another network, perhaps by mandating the transfer of data, if none of the user's friends or family are moving away from Facebook, the user would be unlikely to switch platforms. The lock-in that happens when a network gets so big people feel they have to use it means it doesn't have to treat them particularly well to get them to stay. 17 million Australians use Facebook every 4 weeks, a huge proportion of the population and an even bigger proportion of the population aged over 14. 80%. Without Facebook, it would be hard to know what family and friends and along lost classmates are up to. Whether or not Facebook offers news, it doesn't need to treat its users particularly well to get them to stay. Facebook isn't quite like the phone system. Young people find the fact that so many old people can use it to check up on them a a turn off and go elsewhere. But for the Australians already on it, that's most Australians, it's worth staying. And there's room for smaller specialized networks. LinkedIn has its own network for people concerned about the jobs market. If that's the world you're in, it's wise to be on it because of the huge number of other such people who are on it. There's not much point leaving it for someone else winner takes all it wasn't always that way for facebook 15 years ago myspace was how people connected but not but not many of them it hadn't grown to the point where where network effects took over when they did there could be only one clear winner and it happened to be facebook now not even its bad behavior rory morgan finds it is australia's least trusted brand can stop most people using it wow okay, that's that's eye-opening and alarming at the same time. In the same way as people who want the lights on generally have to use some electricity company, people who want to catch trains generally have to use the railway, and people who want to drive cars generally have to buy petrol. People who want to stay in touch generally have to use Facebook, which makes the government's decision to remove its vaccination advertising campaign from Facebook silly. Facebook reaches over 80% of its target audience, facebook has become a transnational utility unconcerned about its image attempts by one government or even a coalition of governments to force it to do anything are pretty much a lost cause no one wanted it to be like this and it's not like this for google facebook has moved beyond our control that was by peter martin i think that was a i think that's a pretty appropriate way to end the show i think it neatly ties up a couple of points i was making at the start of the show So is it any wonder that Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook act the way they do? They don't need 17 million Australians to have a platform or to have a business. They can seemingly just treat everyone, 17 million Australian users, like shit and not have any ramifications. So in the end, I'll leave it up to you to decide who is right, the Australian government or Facebook and Google. All right, that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you very much for everyone who listened. Thank you for listening and downloading the show. If you feel obliged, feel free to share it around to your friends and family. As I mentioned at the start of the show, King Herod Part 3 is still in production. I'm still doing the research for it. It's pretty in-depth. It's time-consuming. So I felt like this episode was a good break from the historical epic of King Herod. That should be coming out... Hopefully by the end of the month, part three, then I can go into part four, early April, then hopefully we can wrap up the saga of King Herod and move on to something else. I want to start producing at least two shows a month. It's very hard and very time-consuming at the moment. i have try my best. If you'd like to support The Truth Tank, there's a couple of things you can do. Hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast provider. Subscribe to the show. Leave a review if you so inclined. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell people you work with, strangers on the bus, people on the street. Get the word out there. If there's someone you think might like the show, let them know about it. In the coming weeks, I will probably be setting up a Instagram and and Twitter pages for the Truth Tank to grow and expand the sphere of influence. So look out for that. Join the I hate to say it, join the Facebook page to get notifications on everything that's happening with the Truth Tank, but hopefully very soon you'll have other options to do so if you don't like Facebook, which I am one of those people. Right, thanks again. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing and sharing, downloading. I really appreciate it. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, I'm the Tank. This is the truth. May the truth be with you.